Welcome to the Mike Smith Show podcast. This is your one-stop shop for all the latest happenings in BC. From breaking news and developing stories to giving the big headlines a closer look, the Mike Smith Show is here to keep you dialed in and up to date. Let's begin. We start, though, with our health care system. BC Premier David Eby this week announcing plans to increase the number of nurses in British Columbia. He wants nurses who have left the profession to consider going back on the job, put some incentives out for that. Also, he would like to see more foreign-trained nurses come to British Columbia here. Man, you talk about a backlog for getting people accredited here. Foreign-trained nurses who want to work in British Columbia, thousands of them do, thousands Got liberal health critic Shirley Bond standing by. Have a listen to EB here speaking this week. Currently, there are 2,000 nurses who have applied uh, to practice in British Columbia that are coming from international jurisdictions. Uh, And there's uh, 5,000 nurses that have indicated the level of interest in coming to British Columbia. The current wait time for those 2,000 people who are in that queue uh, is, believe it or not, is three years. Three years to get accredited to work in B.C. at a time when we're just dying for help here in our healthcare system. 5,000 foreign-trained nurses expressing interest. Three years to get them on the job. EB says he's going to do something about it. Let's check in, get the other side of it now. Shirley Bond, Liberal MLA, official opposition health critic. Very pleased to welcome her back. Shirley, thank you for coming on today. Always a pleasure. Good morning, Mike. Okay, when you hear that three-year number, I think that surprised a lot of people today that for a foreign-trained nurse wants to come work in the system here in British Columbia, obviously you have to make sure they've got the proper training and credentials, but my goodness, a three-year wait? What do you think of that? Well, certainly this is an important step that uh, needs to be taken. We know that, in fact, Mike, many Canadians actually study uh, in other uh, countries around the world and want to come home. So from our perspective, this is an important step. It won't solve the problem that we have. As you can imagine, uh, we have over 5,000 vacancies in nursing spaces alone in our province. So important step. Absolutely, we need to uh, move this forward more quickly. And in fact, other jurisdictions have been working on this, uh, like the province of Ontario and others. So um, important step. Need to see it happen. Okay. Has it always been like this? I mean, when you think back to your days in government, the Liberal Party was in power for 16 years here. And I think the NDP has to accept responsibility for what's gone on here the last five years. But when you were in power, was there this kind of backlog to get foreign credentialed nurses on the job here? Well, I think what's changed, Mike, is the fact that we have a full-blown healthcare crisis going on. And so the demand is absolutely uh, overwhelming in terms of healthcare professionals, not just nurses, but physicians as well. Uh, we had a strategy that looked at how we bring uh, professionals, not just in the healthcare system, but elsewhere to British Columbia. But obviously now, with the kind of situation we're facing in British Columbia, the need is even greater. So, of course, this is an important step. But my My concern, Mike, as it usually is, and I know this won't be news to you, making an announcement is one thing, but actually attaching that announcement to timelines and metrics and deliverables so that we see outcomes on the ground is critical. And once again, another announcement, very few details. So, you know, we're going to be watching to see what exactly happens after the announcement's been made. Okay, well, he did say that the deliverables or the target here is to reduce this waiting period from 
three years for foreign trained nurses to be put on the job here in British Columbia to between four and nine months. Uh, it, what do you think of that target? Well, obviously, that's absolutely critical. Um, but he also said, as you would note in his uh, in his press conference, he hoped to have you know hundreds of nurses in place in 90 days. So if yeah. suddenly we can make that kind of change where we're looking at 90 days, um, you know, that, that's pretty surprising to me. So I, I guess the concern I have is that when we look at the overall need, yes, this is an, a step that we and many others have been calling for. In fact, we laid out a 30-day action plan uh, last summer, which, by the way, the government didn't even bother to respond to. This was one of the pieces in that plan. Um, But we also need to look at, Mike, retention. How do we keep the nurses that we have in the system there? We also need to look at training, and we need to be adding uh, additional spaces. Finally, we see the government moving to do some uh, of that. But, you know, when you see a government that did not add a single training space for physicians, not one, and in fact, we saw a, a broken promise related to the Surrey Medical Program. Those are the kinds of dis, uh, of uh, uh, lack of action that actually have long-term impacts on the system. So, yes. Uh, well, okay, but this gets back into a, a long, a long-running political fight between the two parties here because the NDP will point the finger right back at you guys and say it was it was Kevin Falcon who who failed to deliver a new medical school for Surrey back when he was the health minister. Well, let's be clear. Uh, the 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 provincial this government, the NDP, by the way, two term government. You know, yeah. they issued a press release and said that the first graduating class of the Surrey Medical School could be as early as 2023. Graduating class, and where are we now? The program might begin in 2023. So we are looking at the first graduating class of physicians under a six year government being in 2030. So, you know, Mike, I, I certainly understand that, you know, Minister Dix and, and, and Premier Eby want to look in the rearview mirror, but this is a two-term government. And I, every day I hear from healthcare professionals that they have never seen it this bad. So, you wow. know, ob- obviously what matters, Mike, yeah. outcomes. We need to see outcomes on the ground, and that's exactly what we're going to hold the government to account oh, for. Okay, well, the NDP will, are saying that, the health authorities were pushing your government back in 2008 to open a medical school in Surrey. Why didn't it get done when you guys were in power? Well, let's be clear. We opened three medical programs across this province in, in, uh, in communities where that had never happened in history before. So we opened programs in Kelowna, Prince George, and Victoria. And when you think about that, think about the implications of training physicians for the first time in history in British Columbia in those centers. So, you know, I understand, I, you know, we, we, we can continue to look back, but we also have to, you know, hold this government to account for an almost six-year record. And, and when I look at, at what matters most, it's one thing to make an announcement, and it's something else to be able to deliver that. And okay. Surrey isn't the only one, Mike. We have a cancer center that was promised in Kamloops. Nothing has happened. You know, it's not just one. It's other circumstances as well. Let me ask you about another issue we'll be discussing later on the show, and that is surgical wait lists here in British Columbia. I'll be speaking to a, a Kamloops man who had his hip replacement surgery canceled twice. 
And he, at that point, he just said, to heck with it, I'm getting it done in Mexico. So he's planning to have his surgery done there in a foreign country rather than continue to wait here. What do you think about surgical wait times in the province right now? Well, obviously, there, there have been challenges because of a pandemic, but we need to continue to add capacity to the system. And we have been very clear, and, you know, the NDP once again try to talk about us looking at not supporting publicly funded health care. Of course we do. But we also have to look at innovation and how are we going to manage to increase capacity so that British Columbians have the opportunity to be cared for in the public health care system in British Columbia. And again, it comes down to, you know, first of all, dealing with the crisis in, in, in primary uh, health care, making sure we have physicians, capacity, investment, all of those things. So to be clear, we believe in a publicly funded health care system. And that gentleman, you know, I hear about wait times all the time in the province. So um, we have a health care system in crisis. And so we need to deal with it from an overarching perspective, looking at how do we add capacity from an infrastructure perspective, from a staffing perspective, all of those things matter and contribute to those additional wait times. Thank you for your time today. I appreciate it. Always a pleasure. Thanks so much, Mike. Okay. Let's talk about the U.S. actor who walked across the border after he was stuck in Vancouver. This is a very funny story. The actor's name is Joel McHale. He's best known for his role on the U.S. Uh, sitcom Community. He was filming a new project in Vancouver before Christmas, missed his flight. <laughs> he decided to walk across the border. It's very interesting. Have a listen to this. I've got Len Saunders standing by to discuss, but listen to Joel McHale here uh, telling this uh, very humorous story to Jimmy Kimmel. Have a listen. And I missed my plane because we worked late, and so I thought I'll take an Uber. And uh, and it said two hundred and twenty bucks to get to Seattle, and you know Canadian dollars. That's like eight bucks. And uh, <laughs> the guy, as soon as I got in, he was like. Yeah, I can't go over the border. And I was like, are you a criminal? And because that'll be a great story. And he said, no, because if I go into America, then that means I'll be working in America and then I'll be in trouble. And I was like, that makes no sense at all. But just get me to the border where then he told me cancer could be cured with breathing. And uh, it was really. Yeah, I had a whole hour and a half. I was like, tell me more. And I'm being cured right now. And uh, and then he was like, there's lots of Ubers on the other side. And then it became Fargo. It, oh. it was it was snowing and there was nobody there. There were no Ubers. On there the was others. no Ubers. There was hardly any guards. They were like, just there it is. Oh, that, you a video. So I walked into Blaine, Washington with my luggage. Uh, I met a guy named John from Victoria. We we did. Where'd a, you meet John? We met in the Wheelhouse Bar. Uh, <laughs> really? Where a very drunk man said, uh, "I'll take you guys." <laughs> I was like, "I don't think so." Uh, then we took a two-hour. We they were like, "We can get you as far as Bellingham, which is about an hour or less than an hour away." Um, we, it was. It worked out great. Okay, Joel McHale there in conversation with Jimmy Kimmel. Let's discuss it now with Len Saunders, immigration lawyer. He's based in Blaine, Washington. Hey, Len. Hi, Mike. How are you? I'm doing great. I thought it was a, a funny story that he told there. Uh, certainly the part that jumped out to me there was that it hardly any guards at the border here 
Uh, is that is that typical? Is it just pretty easy to just walk across the border there? Well, yeah, especially like I think he entered at night. I actually watched that clip on Jimmy Kimmel, and I was laughing because it was pretty accurate. But, you know, night shifts will maybe have two lanes open coming south and, you know, maybe another half dozen officers inside. So it's, I've been there two in the morning where there's literally no officers and nobody coming through. So it's definitely a ghost town, not only at the Peace Arch Port of Entry, but inside, you know, in Blaine itself in the city. Is it possible to just walk across the border without encountering any border officials or that somebody checks your passport or something, don't they? No, so what he would have done was he would have got dropped off on the Canadian side, probably by the duty-free shop, yeah. and then he would have walked south, but it's not very pedestrian-friendly. There's, there's no bike lanes. There's no sidewalk. You're literally walking on Highway 99 through Peace Arch Park with cars, you know, screaming down if it's busy. And uh, so he would have had to have navigated in the snow, walking up to the actual port of entry, and then he would have gone inside, shown his passport, and then walked through kind of a lonely walk, about a half-mile walk, into downtown Blaine. And I think he mentioned it was like going into Fargo yeah. in the middle of winter. That's Blaine. You know, at 10 o'clock at night, there's nobody there when there's a snowstorm. It's dead. Yeah, it's very interesting. There's been some other viral videos and TikToks here lately about people doing the same thing. They get stuck in a snowstorm and just walking across the border that's that's interesting blaine washington that's an interesting little town you're in there is, is it typically pretty dead in the winter time oh absolutely after five o'clock there's a few restaurants open there's the one bar that this actor ended up hanging out i guess for an hour or so trying to figure out where he was going to go so his his description i hate to say was pretty accurate there's not a lot going on on in blaine on a snowy evening in the middle of winter. Hey, Len, let me ask you about another story in the news, and that's the uh, the deal between Canada and the United States to try and improve this Nexus backlog. There's a lot of people who like using this Nexus system, especially if they're frequent travelers back and forth across the border. But, man, oh, man, you try to get a Nexus card now or get a renewal. How bad is that backlog now? Well, it's still, I think they say it's about 200 or 250,000 applicants. They've reduced it by about 100,000, but that's only because most people who are doing renewals, they're just waiving the interviews. So there's still this massive backlog of either first-time applicants or people who missed the, uh, you know, the cutoff for their renewal. So it's considered a brand-new application. But it's interesting because the story that broke yesterday through the media initially said that they were looking at doing an interview, let's say, at Vancouver Airport, and then you hop on a flight and do the interview somewhere within the U.S. But then I read late last night or early this morning a clarification, which makes more sense. It looks like what they're now planning to do is do the Canadian interview at the airport at the Nexus office with the Canadian officer. And then when you go through U.S. immigration at pre-flight clearance at the airport, you'll then speak to an American officer within that kind of area where you're in the secure kind of gates to get on a flight to the U.S., which makes more sense unless you're rushing for a flight because doing two interviews, you're looking at probably an hour. So people are going to have to give themselves plenty of time to do an interview with a Canadian officer, an interview with the American officer, and then hop on their flight to the U.S. Has it always been a double interview process? You have to be interviewed by officials in both countries? 
Absolutely. So whether it was done in Canada or the U.S., you always had both a Canadian and a U.S. officer literally standing side by side. One would do the interview first when they were done, then the second person. Usually the American officer did more of an intense interview. The Canadian would kind of listen in and then, you know, ask a few more questions and then approve it. But you have to have both sides do that in-person interview. Yeah. What do they ask you in the interview? What's the purpose of it? Um, Mostly if you have any past criminal convictions or arrests, immigration violations, customs violations, those are the big issues that make people inadmissible or ineligible for the for the Nexus program. Speaking of Len Saunders, Glenn is an immigration lawyer based in Blaine, Washington, talking about the border crossing there. The Nexus backlog here, this workaround deal announced uh, yesterday between Justin Trudeau and Joe Biden at the Three Amigos Summit in, in Mexico. How... Uh, how reliant are, are some of your clients or people that you you deal with on a daily basis, Len, for, with that Nexus card? Because I've talked to people, you know, this thing is like a gold card for them if they can get it, if they're frequent travelers. Oh, absolutely. I have lots of Canadian and American clients who go back and forth on a daily basis. They yeah. live on one side, they work on the other side as a nurse, doctor, whatever. And they say to me, if I don't have this card, I might as well quit my job or move to the other country. So people value their Nexus card. So do I. I I make sure mine is always current and my family's too. Yeah. And how long long does it last before you have to renew it again? They're good for five years. So it always expires on your birthday five years later. And you just have to make sure that you do the renewal before the expiry date. And it's right now automatically extended for a minimum of one year. Talking about crossing the border into Washington State, the backlog for the Nexus cards are trying to fix it. My guest is Len Saunders, immigration lawyer, Blaine, Washington. Let's go to your phone calls here. Susan in Port Moody. Hi, Susan. Go ahead. Oh, hi there. Um, I've been wanting to apply for a Nexus for a long time. And in my younger past, I have a um, an arrest and conviction with a conditional discharge. So there's not even a pardon to apply for, but there is an arrest on my record. How big of an effect do you think that would have in, in me getting a Nexus card? Ooh, good question, Len. So a conditional discharge is actually considered a conviction for U.S. immigration purposes. It depends upon what it is. If it's a drug-related offense, no, you'll never get Nexus. If it's non-drug-related and the equivalent of a U.S. misdemeanor, which is a summary offense in Canada, and you only have one, like a DUI, you're eligible. And a great example is former Premier Gordon Campbell. When he got his DUI in Maui back in the early 2000s, he would have been eligible only after 10 years, though. So it has to be more than 10 years ago, one conviction, misdemeanor or summary offense, non-drug-related. Susan, would you care to tell me what the conviction was for? Yeah, I will. Oh, oh, I try oh. and forget it, but it was it was assault, actually. Assault. Okay, Len. So what about an assault convictions or summary offenses? So I think she's fine as long as it was more than ten years ago. She's fine to apply. Okay, Susan. Thanks for sharing that, Curtis in Burnaby. Hi, Curtis. Go ahead. Hey guys, yeah, a little a little bit off the topic or funny story is uh, my wife and I applied for the second go around. Uh, our old Nexus card was go- about to expire in four months or something like that, and uh, so filled out the documentation, everything online. Uh, I believe I paid with it for a credit card, 
and thought, okay, I'll wait and there'll be an interview. Well, uh, no interview. I got the Nexus card, the new Nexus card, about four months later, and then they refunded my money as well. Oh, oh man, you scored <laughs> big time practice, here. I guess. Wow, wow. So you didn't have to do the interview, and you got your money back. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. And is the Nexus card working for you? Oh, for sure. Yeah, it doesn't expire oh, for another uh, four years, I think. Oh man, how do we? How do you get a deal like that, Len? That sounds pretty good. I haven't heard of that, so I think you're <laughs> very lucky. So, congratulations, you got it for free. That, that's weird. <laughs> that's kind. Of, that's kind of strange. Okay, thank you for that, Curtis. Well, uh, maybe that was a, a mix-up. Karen in Surrey. Hi, Karen. Go ahead. Oh, hi there. Um, I travel across the border regularly, actually probably two to three times a week, uh, to Blaine. And for various reasons, whether it's staffs, et cetera. But we, during COVID, our nexus expired. We applied right away. We got it pretty quick. And uh, it's the best thing we ever did. We are using it all the time. And for the comment that there's nothing going on in Blaine, I would like to challenge you on that. There's so much going on. The best golf, we golf there all the time. We go to Drayton Harbor Oysters for the best oysters I've ever experienced. There's Semiamu Hotel, which has so much to offer there. It's just a great little community. And during the storm, I'm sure it was dead, like everywhere else. Downtown Vancouver yeah. was dead. But it's a, a, the story about the actor, that was pretty funny. I mean, it's, it is, I can't imagine. I've been there when it's been snowing in Blaine, and it, the roads aren't very safe. <clears throat> but it's yeah. a great little town. But going across the border has never been a problem for us. And uh, the best thing that we ever did was apply for our nexus. And it just makes it so easy, both air travel and going across the border on land. Thank you, Karen, for that. Len, when you're when you're renewing the Nexus card, do you have to go through the interview process again or no? In the past, everyone had to. And then about 10 years ago, they started kind of picking and choosing uh, some people who would have their interview waived. Now it seems like most people who are doing a renewal, they're waiving the interview, even kids. Like one of my kids, they had the interview waived recently. I'd never seen that. So I think that's how they're getting rid of the backlog right now is most renewals. They're just, you know, doing it without an interview and uh, saving the time for the people who actually are new, new applicants. Right. And I don't think you were trying to say that Blaine is a boring place and you shouldn't go there. No, Blaine's actually right. pretty busy <laughs> during the day. But, yeah. uh, you know, come, come 8 o'clock at night, there's not a lot of people downtown. Right, right. Glenn and Langley. Hi, Glenn. Go ahead. Hi. Hi, gentlemen. Hi. Uh, you know, the worst thing they did is when they got rid of the enhanced driver's license. I have no idea why they did that. It really made sense. Yeah, remind me how that worked again. You could use that at the border? Yeah, well, you could use it crossing into the U.S. by land, not by air or by sea. So oh, yeah. I was going down being a truck driver. I didn't have to carry my passport, which is big, bulky, and if you lose it, well, you know what that's like. With the enhanced driver's license, it's just your driver's license, and if you lose it, go get another one, and they can't use it. But they got rid of it for some reason. Glenn, thank you for the call. Len, what is the status of that? Well, so I have a Washington State enhanced driver's license, which I use quite frequently. It's handy. I have no idea why the province of B.C. stopped issuing them. So they, they still issue them in Washington State. So that's maybe a question to ask the Premier of B.C. Why don't they issue 
the enhanced driver's licenses for BC residents anymore, citizens. Okay, so you mean if you're if you're a Washington State, you're American citizen on the Washington side of the border, and you have an enhanced Washington State driver's license, you can just drive across the border into Canada with that without a passport? Yeah. Is that oh, really? Yeah, because it shows that you're a U.S. citizen. Like I have one because I'm dual, so my Washington State driver's license says I'm a U.S. citizen, so I can use that. The province of BC had the same thing for. Canadian citizens living in BC, but uh, two or three years ago, I heard that they were stopped issuing them. So I have no idea why, because it's a cheap alternative and faster oh, yeah. than getting a Canadian passport. Oh yeah, no kidding. Let's go to Bob on the line in in Blaine. Are you in Blaine, Bob? Is that right? Blaine and White Rock. I'm a Canadian citizen living and working in the U.S. Oh wow, cool. Okay, go ahead. You got thirty seconds here. Um, so I went into the Blaine Nexus office just the other day to update some information, and there's Canadian officers there. What stops Canadians coming down? Yes, they'd have to wait in the regular line and do their interview for both down at the Blaine office. And number two, Mike, I think more for you, or maybe ask another guest, why is the Canadian side of the Peace Arch um, Park still closed? 20 seconds, Len. Go ahead. So the Nexus office in the U.S., anyone can do an interview there. The problem is it takes months to get in. So that's what's deterring so many people from doing their interview in Blaine because of the, um, because of the problems with getting an appointment. The park is actually open on the Canadian side, but part of it is closed off because there's an issue with the Semiamu okay. First Nations. That's an issue with CBSA and First Nations. Thanks a lot, Len. Bye, Mike. Have a good day. All right, let's talk about our stressed out and overburdened healthcare system now, especially if you are on a wait list for surgery. This can be very frustrating if you're waiting weeks and weeks and weeks for surgery, especially if you're in discomfort or pain. My next guest had his surgery canceled. He said, now to heck with it getting the surgery done in Mexico. Let's check in now with Doug Andrew on the line from San Jose, Mexico. Doug, how are you today? Hey, Mike, not bad, thanks. Good to talk with you. Okay, Doug, thanks a lot for doing this. So, so let's talk about your healthcare journey here. Now, you've had a number of surgeries. Right? You had a, tell me about this. What is the surgery you're going to get in Mexico? I'm, um, you were slightly mistaken. I actually had my hip replaced in Canada, uh, in Kamloops in August. I've been waiting now since originally 2016 for a knee replacement. Right. So it's my knee I'm going to get replaced down here in Mexico. Okay. Tell me about your, your knee now. What is the problem with your knee? Oh, just worn out, Mike. Too many years of uh, too much doing with it, right? And uh, the, <laughs> the cartilage is totally gone and I've got arthritis starting in it and so it's it's been a it's been a long road, but uh, you know I just got fed up waiting in Canada. Yeah. Okay. How long were you waiting for a knee replacement in 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 BC? Well, <laughs> let me give you a brief rundown. Sure. I originally went on a wait list with a well-known camera surgeon back in 2016, and would be I was told at that time it'd be at least a year uh, to get my left knee replaced. After hearing nothing for a year, I actually called his office back and was told by the receptionist they'd call me when it was my turn. <laughs> that was okay. about mid, uh, mid late 2017. So I complained to my doctor and he got me on a, on a, on with a new ortho in Kamloops. 
um, who had just showed up there. But in the meantime, I had decided to uh, proceed with a uh, stem cell replacement surgery in Mexico. Because I knew several people that had it done down here and had been, been quite successful for them. But unfortunately, after I did all that and spent about $10,000 with airfares and hotels and the, and the stem cell, it didn't work for me. And, uh, you know, I was back in the same boat again. So um, oh. it was really funny because once once I booked all that uh, stuff to Mexico, my new surgeon called me the, the following day or his receptionist did to come in for an interview. And he was prepared to do my surgery at that time within about four to six weeks. That was back in 2018. So um, anyway, because I spent all the money to, uh, in advance, we went on to Mexico anyway. And... Right. Um, and uh, had stem cell, but it, it didn't work for me, so unfortunately. So um, while I was waiting for my knee to replace uh, back in the winter of 2021, we had to stay home because of COVID, of course. And I was walking uh, quite a distance every day, and uh, my hip didn't like that, and so I was favoring my knee, of course, and therefore my right knee or my right hip went. So my ortho and myself decided we'd do the hip instead. So I had that done. Uh, last August, and uh, that's that's been pretty good so far. But the annoying part is uh, when I met him in September, he told me that like for the follow up after surgery, and he said he's put me on a priority list for my knee replacement, um, which had started the whole issue to begin with, right. and he'd do it on my return from Mexico this coming spring, April 23. So I was obviously elated. But before we left for Mexico in mid-November, he called me back to say the hospital to put me back on a two-year wait list. Oh, oh, another so, two years. Yeah, another two years. So, you wow. know, there I sit, <laughs> waiting. So I knew people down here in Mexico and San Jose who had had hip or hip and uh, knee replacement done here. So I pursued that, and I actually met with a, an orthopedic surgeon here just a few days ago, as a matter of fact. And down here, um, the hospitals are phenomenal. They really are. It just blows me away. They're just absolutely phenomenal. Um, I called. I, was, I, I couldn't find his number, so I went to the hospital on Wednesday, and I had an appointment with him for Friday morning. And uh, he did X-rays and all that, and, and said, "Hey, I, you know, we can replace your your knee in about three weeks if you want to have it done. Three weeks." Oops. Three weeks, okay, and and you give him the green yeah. light. You, so you're going for it well, now, actually, are you? I didn't because I, I well, I'm going to, I'm get, definitely going to get done here, but not in three weeks. I've got some business things I have to look after. So we've scheduled it for early October. So I'm coming back down again in October to get it done. Okay, what about now? This whole concept of getting surgery out of the country, like in Mexico. You mentioned that you know people who've had surgeries done there in Mexico. Are you you're confident in the the quality and the, and the skill level of the surgeon and the facilities there? Oh, you wouldn't believe the facilities, Mike. They're absolutely state of the art. Absolutely state of the art. And I was so impressed with this this orthopedic surgeon when I met him. Boy, I tell you, I was just just blown away. Um, I'm not complaining with my Mexican or my Canadian surgeon either. He's really good too. But yeah. you know, another two years, I I can hardly walk some days. Like it's just ridiculous. Yeah. How much, okay, Doug, how much is this going to cost you now for this knee replacement? The surgery will be about 10K US. Whoa. Okay. That's pretty pricey. Well, it is. You know, Mike, when you look at the quality of life, I can't even get in my fishing boat anymore. Mm. So to you, like, would it be fair to say, okay, 10,000 US, that's a lot of money. 
but for you, you would say it's worth it rather than waiting two years. Two years, Mike. I've been waiting since 2016. Yeah, so you've been waiting years already, and now they told you to wait another two years. So you, you figure, like, the heck with it. I'm getting it done. I'm paying for it. Yeah, I'm in my early 70s, Mike. Christ, I don't want to be in my 80s and still limping around. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. What about the, let me ask you this, and because I've had some listeners already ask me, what about the follow-up treatment? Because, okay, let's say you get this surgery done in Mexico and it goes successfully, which I certainly hope it does for you. What about sort of follow-up, rehab after the surgery? Do you get that done in Mexico too? Yeah, it's going to blow you away, Mike, because the surgeon actually is going to come to my condominium to follow oh. up with me, and then he's going to send the rehab team in after that once I can start doing physiotherapy right here to the condo. Okay, so he does a house call. Yeah, all okay. part of the package. In interesting. Do you... How often, how much time do you spend in Mexico? Do you live like half the year down there or something? Not that long, but we're usually okay. down here at least four months. Sometimes it's a little longer every winter. Okay. Now, you mentioned that you've had other friends who have done similar things. Like, have have you heard any horror stories about surgeries that have gone wrong down there? Or are they all pretty, uh, they've all been successful to your knowledge? Uh, all the ones I know have been successful. I have not heard of anybody that's had a problem whatsoever. Nothing, no problem whatsoever. Okay. Now, do you think there should be an option for people? Like, we always have this debate in Canada about our public health care system, and people should not be allowed to pay out of pocket to get their surgeries done quickly, more quickly. Of course, you can certainly go out of the country and get it done quicker, like you're doing. But do you think you should have the same option in Canada? Oh, I sure do, Mike. I totally do. I don't get this... this um hang up over the healthcare system in Canada. Yeah, we've got a great system, but you know what? Mexico's system is fantastic too. You know, like how come I can get in and get surgery in three weeks and in Canada I can't get it done in you know, let's say the average of two years supposedly. I mean it's crazy. Well I guess it's because you're willing to plunk down 10K US on the table to get it done. That's why. But Mike I'd I'd be happy to put down 10K in Canada to get it done, but they won't let you. Right. You know, look at the um, the Canby Street Clinic, and there was one in Kamloops that have both been shut down and been fighting in court for how many years now, right? Like what? It it makes it makes no sense to me. I talked to my I talked to my orthopedic surgeon, and he tells me that he could probably do another at least three surgeries a week, maybe five surgeries a week, but he cannot get the hospital time. Yeah, right. I mean, certainly the demand is there to do more surgeries, but they just don't have the capacity to do it. Is that what they're telling you? Well, yeah, yeah. And yeah. in, in accounts, we just spent, I don't know, how many millions of dollars on this new tower, and we got one new surgery award out of it, apparently. Like one okay. out of, what was it, $100 million we spent? Like crazy. All right, Doug, thank you for sharing the story today. I wish you luck on your journey here with your knee replacement surgery. I hope it all goes well here with you, for you. And thanks for taking the time to talk to us today. Okay, Mike, thanks. Good to talk to you. Thanks for listening to the Mike Smith Show podcast. Can't wait for the latest episode to drop. Tune into the show live from 9 to noon on 980 CKNW. Want to reach out to me personally with a question or comment? Send me an email, mike at cknw.com. Thanks again for listening.